to be holy sexually. That our God-defined sexuality is merely a part of our identity as image bearers of God. What the, what the culture says and what God says are not the same thing. One is true, one is a lie. Here's the truth. Our bodies, our sexuality, our gender point to something even better than mere sexual pleasure or self-expression. Our bodies help reveal something about our creator. Male and female in God's image. Taking notes, you want to write some of this stuff down. Male and female in God's image. Now, I'm going to share with you something that I shared earlier this week in a blog post. I believe scripture is clear true, right, and loving. We are image bearers of our creator. We, male and female, were created in the image of God to represent God in creation. Part of that image bearing is found in our created bodies, our male and female bodies. This fact has profound consequences in how we are designed to live as male and female. that are understood as both masculine and feminine. Not a sexual God, but a God within divinity who within divinity has characteristics that are explained and revealed within the, quote, our image, male and female language of Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Our bodies help tell the story of our creator. Genesis 1, 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them Scripture teaches us then, each of us are formed in the womb by the will and the handiwork of our creator, God. Our God began a process in the garden of reproduction. The prophet Malachi tells us that God designed this male-female image-bearing creation to partner with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to produce godly offspring to continue to live as godly representatives and caretakers of creation, to live as godly men and godly women reproducing as an act of both sexuality and religion, godly men and godly women. The fall in the garden has brought with it all sorts of problems, but your body is not one of them. We, you, you and I, are still image bearers of the creator. Sin has marred our understanding of our identity within our bodies. Sin brings death. Sin brought death. Within that death lies the possibility of separation of our created physical design with our created psychological design, but that separation isn't God's design. God's desire for us as image bearers is for wholeness within our created design as either male or female as witnessed by our physical created self. 
Jesus came to bring life, not just to our spirit, but even to our mortal bodies, to restore what sin has separated, even our understanding of our own sexuality and gender. Our bodies, church, testify to our creative design and God's creative intent. We are male or female. Our bodies tell us so, and God says that's gender and 
sexuality are not rooted in any tangible reality. But Jesus binds our gender and our sexuality to our bodies. A post-modernity would tell us that truth is relative, but there is a truth that cannot change. It takes an egg and a sperm to reproduce a human. Our bodies are created by design and only capable of producing one or the other. Two eggs cannot partner together to create life. Two sperm cannot partner together to create life. We're all adults in here. We've all had to talk. Some of us even have babies. Our bodies contain a sexual truth. We are either male or female. And Jesus says that is God's good design. And we are designed and commanded to live within that truth. Something else Jesus tells us about our gendered sexuality is that the two become one flesh. This one flesh language isn't only about the act of sex, but it definitely includes the act of sex. Our bodies, our whole bodies, not just the parts that we see, were created with sexual expression and procreation in the mind of God. What we see is but a part of who we are, but it's not the wrong part. We are sexual beings by God's good design. You might want to write this down. Sex is God's good design. Our bodies are God's good design. And since our bodies are God's good design, our sexuality is God's good design. Follow me, church. God created humanity. He created us as to be his image bearers, to subdue chaos, to procreate, to rule, to make good things. He created them as male and female. He created them male and female so that they could fulfill the creation mandate. What is the creation mandate? To subdue chaos, to fill the earth, to procreate, to rule, to make good things. That's our creation mandate. Our mission is his mission. Our purpose mirrors his purpose. Our mission and purpose to fill the earth and bring order requires ordered sexual expression. The enemy of God desires chaos and confusion to thwart the plan of God for humanity. But even nature tells us that our bodies speak a truth that is inescapable. Our bodies reveal part of God's purpose for us. So simply put, you writing notes? I'm going to give you some things to write down. Here we go. Simply put, number one. God made us sexed and sexual beings. God made us sexed and sexual beings. Number two, sex has pleasure and purpose. 
sex has pleasure and purpose. Number three, God set boundaries for our sexual expression and our activity. Namely, male, female, monogamous marriage. So number three, God set boundaries for our sexual expression and activity. You with me so far? Here we go. Jesus defines sexual expression by going back to creation. Jesus defines sexual expression by going back to creation. Number seven, sex, love, and marriage is God's good idea to remind us of the creation mandate. I'll say it again. Sex, love, and marriage is God's good idea to remind us of our creation mandate. Number eight, our sexual and gender expression should be holy. Our sexual and gender expression should be holy. I'm going to read those again and tell those again to you. sexed and sexual. Number two, sex has pleasure and purpose. Number three, God set boundaries for our sexual expression and activity, which is namely male, female, monogamous marriage. Number four, then sin broke our right understanding of sex. It told us that sex is more about pleasure than purpose. Number five, God gave laws to his people through Moses to push us back to the purpose of sex. And then six, Jesus defined sexual expression by going back, not to Moses, but by going even farther back to the creation narrative. Because number seven, sex, love, and marriage is God's good idea to remind us of our creation mandate, which is our purpose. Our purpose is to counter the chaos with order sexuality. It's an image of our eternal purpose with Christ Jesus. So then, sexual and gender expression should be holy. Since our sexuality is God's good design, our sexual and gender expression should be holy. Listen to this. Dr. Russell Moore, who was president of the ERLC, Ethics and Religious Liberty Committee or or Coalition, who is now uh, over the Christianity Today magazine, Dr. Russell Moore, I love how he confronts the confusion of gender and sexuality in this statement. I want to read this to you. I'm going to share the full statement uh, later this week on the blog. He 
says this, first we must bear witness to the goodness of what it means to live as creatures, not as self-defining gods and goddesses. God created us as human and within humanity as male and female, Genesis 1:27. We are all sinners and so we chafe against having ourselves defined by a creator and not by ourselves or our ideologies. Our nakedness shames us because our physical difference reminds us that we are that we are not self-contained. Man needs woman and woman needs man. I really do not contain multitudes. My maleness and your femaleness aren't about us at all. They fit us within a much larger stream of a species by nature and of a communion by grace. The church must teach God's good creation design of male and female, yes. But beyond that, the church should teach a Christian anthropology that shows us that living within creation limits is never easy for anyone. We're all seeking to transcend our limits in various ways. The way of discipleship is to settle on the fact that we serve a God who knows more about humanity and more about us personally than we know about ourselves. He goes on, at the same time, the church should not see everything through the grid of gender. The sexual revolution, chaotically, wants to tell us that gender means nothing and that gender means everything. Neither is true. We should recognize that unbiblical caricatures of masculinity and femininity were always harmful, but now are potentially deadly. The little girl in your church who doesn't like princess movies or dolls and who would rather spend a Saturday in the deer stand increasingly now is told by the culture around her that maybe she's not a woman at all. Only a church that defines its vision of masculinity and femininity from the word of God, not from cultural tropes, can speak to her. If you don't have a category for a rough and tumble woman like J.L. in the Bible, or a harp playing man like David in the Bible, your church is handing over your children to the gender ideologies of the moment. The truth is that male-female sex difference is objectively real. Biological science is built off of this reality. More importantly, the mystery of Christ tells us that the male-female binary points us beyond nature to the gospel itself, Ephesians 5. We must tell the truth about this. John the Baptist lost his head for saying that Herod could not have his brother's wife. Some now will be targeted as culturally unacceptable because they tell, because they tell Herod he can't be his brother's wife. This will take courage and compassion, and above all, it will take Dr. Russell so what does holy sexuality look like well Paul addressed this topic a lot because the early church lived in a culture that told them that sex was more about pleasure than purpose more about self-expression than sacrificial obedience God made sex pleasurable so that we would participate in the purpose for which God made us. When we get that out of order, we make sex an idol. God made sex pleasurable so that we would participate in the purpose for which he made us. The sin isn't the pleasure of sex. The sin is living for the pleasure outside the boundaries of its purpose. So again, Paul addresses the need for sexual holiness often 
because the culture required reminders. So Paul writes to the Thessalonians, if you've got your Bible open, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Starting at verse 3. For this is God's will. Say that with me. For this is God's will. You always want to know what is God's will. Well, part of God's will is this right here. Your sanctification. That you keep away from sexual immorality. That each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told you and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but rejects God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. So let's talk about this. I'm going to write this down. Sanctified sexuality. Sanctified sexuality. This is God's will. This is God's design, sanctified sexuality. Let's remind ourselves about this word sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart for a special purpose. It's like a special set of wedding dishes. It has a special purpose. It's set aside and set apart for this special event. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus takes us as cracked plates and then uses us for the wedding feast. He fills us with his spirit and uses us to display his power in our earthen vessels, as John or, or as Paul says in Corinthians, these jars of clay. That's sanctification. It's being set apart so that you can be used by God. It's separation from sinful behavior and separation unto holiness. This is God's will, a sanctified sexuality, a setting apart from what the world declares to be what sex is about and what sexuality is about and what gender is about, and us being set apart unto following and believing and obeying what God has to say about sexuality and sex and gender. This is God's will, sanctified sexuality. Solomon, who truly understood living for pleasure, how many wives and concubines did he have? More than we can count, at least that we have time to this morning. So Solomon, who truly understood living for pleasure more than living for purpose, said this in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27, can you build a fire in your lap and not burn your pants? No. Paul says, keep away from sexual immorality. Don't build a fire in your lap. If you're taking notes, keep away. First of all, this word keep away does not mean to see how close to the fire you can get without actually putting your hand in it. This word keep away implies that the fire is a wildfire that will consume everything that gets near it. 
that's not milk was in the covenant of marriage. Secondly, in this chapter, in this, in this passage to the Thessalonican church, he speaks of sexual immorality to be holy in your, and to avoid and to keep away from sexual immorality. This sexual immorality is a Greek word that's pronounced pornea. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like a word we may have heard before. What does it mean? It means any sexual activity outside of God's design for sex is pornea. Let's remind ourselves, God's design for sex is male-female monogamous marriage. Any sexual activity outside of that is pornea. So same-sex sexual activity, pornea. Pornography, pornea. Adultery, pornea. Pedophilia, pornelia. Uh, Multiple partners, pornea. Sex work, pornea. Rape, pornea. We could go on and on and on. All of these fall under the category of pornea. Scripture tells us that those who practice this behavior, who continue in pornea, must repent and practice this type of sin no more. And that we should do this, number three, control our own bodies. Hear that. Our bodies matter. Our bodies matter. God says it. Understand the concept of controlling our bodies when it comes to food or violence or exercise. We understand that we can't eat whatever we want and expect to be healthy. We understand that we can't punch that person who stepped in front of us in line and expect not to get either arrested or punched back. We understand that we can't experience a better 5K time first of all, get off the couch, or a better handle on the ball, or a better max on our lift, unless we control our bodies, even when it requires dedication and sacrifice. Control your own bodies. We see here what Paul is telling us is that the is greater than the pleasure. The purpose of our bodies, the purpose of our sexuality, the purpose of our sex and of our gender is more than just our pleasure. It's about purpose. said do it. Control your body. When we do that, we discover a greater eternal pleasure when we control our bodies for our 
pouting to sadness. There is a greater eternal pleasure when we control our bodies according to our design and purpose. Number three, how do you control your body in holiness and honor? Your bodies are not your own, child of God. They were designed by God, and in Christ you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So control your body in holiness and in a way that brings honor to God. Now listen, this command is just that, a command. It may not be easy. It may require sacrifice. It may require celibacy. changing what you watch or read or listen to. It may require a content blocker on all your devices. It may require you to stop doing things that aren't sin because they lead you to back they lead you back to building that fire in your lap. Well this isn't a sin so I'll do this but every time you do this it just takes you right back down the path of sin. And then you get mad at yourself. Don't do this if it's going to take you there. Well, you know, I'm not trying to lose weight, but if I were, it would do no good for me to go to Five Guys and sit there. Jesus welcoming you into the joys of the kingdom, with Jesus making all things new, with Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant, obedience always ends better than disobedience. Number four, control your bodies, not with lustful passions. This is important. Because of sin, your body may want things that you weren't created for. sexual sin and sexual disorder 
of sin. Because of sin, your mind may wander into temptation and stay there. Don't be controlled by your passions. Control your passions. Do not let your passions define you. Be defined by the God who created you. Don't let your lust define you. Be defined by the one who created you. More about that in a moment. He goes on to say, but you know God. You know God. Since you have been reconciled to God, since you have been born again, since you have been adopted by God, you know God, and you are coming to understand God's sexual design for your body more and more. You are called to live not as a slave to pleasure, but as God's image bearer, sanctified and holy, and in that you will find greater joy than mere sex can give. God's eternal promise is better than temporary pleasure. sexuality and gender, but you know God through Jesus, and Jesus has revealed and confirmed the truth about our created sexuality. Something else Paul tells us here is that God cares about our bodies. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 6-8, this means one must not transgress against or take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, so we also previously told and warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but, re- but God who gives his Holy Spirit. God cares about our bodies. God cares about his creation. God cares about what harms his design and his intent for men and women and for our sexuality. In this passage, it says a few things. It says this, first of all, God the Son, the Lord Jesus, is an avenger. I know everyone's thinking, well, which avenger is he? This statement from Paul is about the future. Jesus will avenge the harm done to others because of sexual sin. Maybe you have been sexually sinned against. Let this passage give you hope. sexual sin, not the sexual sin that has been done against you, not your sexual sin, but sexual sin done against you. Sexual sin done against you is not your sexual sin. Make sure you hear what he's saying there. Those who abuse or confuse others sexually, Jesus will judge and he will be on the side of the one sinned against. Those who willingly engage in sinful sexual activity will face judgment because of their rejection of God's design for their bodies. So God the Son is an avenger. God the Father has called us. This is about the past. It's plainly revealed in our created bodies and supernaturally revealed in the moral law given to Moses, and it's divinely revealed in the person of Jesus that we have been called to sexual sanctification, to holy sexuality. He 
in the past. Let's live it out. And thirdly, what we see here is that God, the Holy Spirit, helps us live sexually sanctified. This is about the here and now. This is about the present. You may say that your desires are too strong, your attractions too great, your passions too big, your pleasure, the pleasure too enticing, that you cannot do. That you can't not do what you feel like doing or being who you feel like being. Well, the Holy Spirit is here to help you. You do not have to walk this road alone. You do not have to depend on your own strength. You don't have to trust yourself to get it right. in which you were designed and commanded to walk in. Well, Mark, my attractions are this. Maybe my attractions or your attractions, they don't line up with the design that we've been given. The Holy Spirit is here to help you walk in holy obedience. John chapter 14, verses 15, 16, and 17. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Jesus said. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So Jesus has made us a promise. The Father fulfilled the request of the Son. He sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is available to you to go alongside you and empower you and equip you to do what Paul tells us in Titus chapter 2 verse 12. The Holy Spirit is instructing us to deny godliness, godlessness, to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous and godly way in the present age. What does that tell me? That in the present age, if it's counterculture to live sensible, righteous and godly, that the culture must be nonsense, unrighteous, and godless. Counterculture, biblical counterculture is sensible, righteous, and godly. And you can live up to that. You can live up to your created purpose and find pleasure in obedience because the Holy Spirit will go with you joy is set before you. There may be a cross to bear, but there is a crown to wear. And there is a Savior who heals and saves and delivers and makes all things new. So, church, sinner and saint alike, surrender your sexuality, your identity, your body to the truth of God's good design. You are made in God's image, male, female, you in your God-given purpose, which is to bring peace to chaos. We need Jesus. Jared comes to play. We need Jesus. Because of the fall, we need Jesus. Because we, because 
of sin, we are all sexually broken. Hear that. Because of sin, we are all sexually broken. None of us are fully whole sexually unless we are walking in full obedience to Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can be sexually or proclivities that we must bring to Jesus. All of us. Sin broke us all sexually. But we have a Savior who understands our temptations, understands our weaknesses, and who took our sin Temptation is not your identity. Being tempted, listen, this is important. Being tempted is not sin. We are all tempted. Jesus was tempted. We all need Jesus. Turn to Jesus, run from sin. Don't give in to temptation. Don't allow the tempter to condemn you when you haven't bitten the forbidden fruit. Just because you are tempted to sin, doesn't mean you are guilty of giving in to sin. Remind yourself that the tempter has been defeated and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sexual sanctification, this is the will of God.
encouragement in holiness. For you need strength from sanctified living. I invite you to come near the table this morning. And before you receive communion, let us pray for one another. This
desire because I delivered this message. This this message that we share on our podcast and on our socials and on our live stream. I probably I probably paste the whole most of the whole sermon. 